What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Solve for Why vlogcast. This is episode number 33. My God, when are we putting an end to this thing? Uh, I'm joined by my special guest, Mr. Johnny Vibes. I'm happy to be here, and I've been a patron of your vlogcast. I love it. Been nice. watching it a lot. Much uh, much appreciated. I was going to say, it's, it's nice to uh, have a fellow content creator in here. Obviously, I've watched a lot of your vlogs. Um, probably low-key more than you think. Yeah, because I mentioned something earlier and you're like, yeah, I saw that and whatever. And yeah, I, yeah. I did not expect you to say that. The, your tilt vlogs, I've, I've seen probably all. Of <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like whenever you're playing in games that I recognize, like mm. Reno, uh, Live at the Bike, stuff like that, I, I tend to tune in. You know, I like to keep my eye on the, on the content creation space. I want to know what's going on out there. For sure. And same way for me. Uh, as far as podcast goes, I don't think that we needed another podcast in the poker space, but you guys are doing a bang up job and you, I, I am corrected. We did need your podcast. So thanks for putting it out. I, I actually wholeheartedly agree with you <laughs> for whatever that's worth. I fought this for 18 months mm. minimum. I, yeah. I just didn't want to do it because I hate the idea of, you know, just following the script, you know, mm. everything that's out there is so repetitive and it's just like another smart person has a platform to speak um and yeah it just got tired to me and i was like i was thinking the same thing like when olivier launched his it's just like man i'm so excited for this because i think olivier is really intelligent and it'll be great to listen to but like when does it end yeah you know what i mean we only have so much attention right and i guess it's good because we get more to pick from but sometimes some of the really good stuff gets lost in the shuffle and i miss it you yeah know? i think the latter is my bigger concern and, the, and like you just mentioned olivia's podcast i didn't even know he had one yeah you know uh well to be fair it's not on youtube so like that's probably the big distinction i live uh, there mostly yeah. yeah um but yeah it's really great you should definitely check it out uh i think he's done three episodes so far okay um in order that he's released i think is like best to worst oh okay uh and not saying the third episode is bad but yeah just uh, he did it. He did like an ask me anything first, which was very compelling. And then uh, an interview with Coleman, which was just like yeah. really riveting to kind of get inside the mind of somebody who like rose so fast and then just like left the industry. Yeah, I'm really interested to see that one because I, I haven't heard anything from that guy. It's been so long and he was like beasting the world. He's like for, done. He's really? just like straight up done. Wow, He's like in crazy. Brazil just hanging out. I don't him. I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't hate him for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, like that, that's that's the level of freedom. Um, okay, so like speaking a little bit about content, we uh, launched a new product uh, this past Friday, um, Poker Out Loud Student Edition, okay. which I actually reached out to you to uh, be a part of whenever we filmed this, you, mm -hmm. you weren't in town, and I kind of want to throw an idea by you uh, right now, but I guess let me describe it a little bit. So you're, are you familiar with Poker Out Loud? Yes, and I think it's a really cool concept. It's like a bridge between vlog and actual like highly produced live stream kind of content. It's like right in the middle. Yeah. We get to see thought process in real time. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I was hesitant to put it out publicly because um, just the nature of the internet is very much to scrutinize. Mm -hmm. And they didn't let me down. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a lot of pushback, but uh, I guess I'm not surprised that we saw so much pushback. I guess I'm more surprised that people don't see it through the same lens through which like we envisioned it because mm -hmm. um, like to me it's it's as much entertainment as it is insightful but i don't think the insight is like trying to watch someone see what their strategy is and mimic it mm -hmm. to me it's like more so representative that all of the study work that we're mostly doing now is in a vacuum right so we're running through solves and we're trying to control for all the variables and get to some sort of like equilibrium that makes sense 
But the reality is that we're all playing in this like highly, I guess, like organic environment that is triggered on the uh, on the smallest things where, you know, somebody shows a hand that this guy doesn't like. And now all of a sudden he's on raging tilt and that just throws everything out of whack. And I thought that like that would be obvious that that's what the thought process on display would mm-hmm. kind of conventionally show. Yeah. But instead, people just like look at the mechanics. They're just like, yo, this guy played nine four. He's the worst. This is an awful product. I don't know what you guys are doing, but like you're ruining training for everybody. That's. I mean, I 100% agree with you. So if you're looking at a vacuum and you're looking at the opposite of a vacuum, what we play in live poker every single day is the opposite of a vacuum. Right. There's all these nuance and variables. And the fact that Poker Out Loud is addressing some of this stuff, game flow, thought process based on what happened to previous orbit, or if so-and-so thinks that so-and-so is coming after them. These are all things that we actually think about. So it's kind of cool to see you guys put it in a, a format like that. Yeah. Because sometimes sometimes a guy will be like, oh, Chin's coming after me here. Right. And Chin's like not even thinking it. So it's, it's kind of fun to see who's going down whatever meta game that they shouldn't be going down. Yeah. So like that was kind of the thing that I, I wrote on the description a little bit was that uh, it's it's a display of where our observation and biases fail us and how like often that occurs. Like the best in the world. And I'm not even saying that we necessarily fit that criteria. But even if we got like linus and other killers on there you're gonna find a lot of flaw in their logic because they're just forced to react in real time yeah totally um but anyway so we did a student edition uh that we released for free on youtube and uh if you haven't already check that out please um and if you haven't checked out like the full seasons of poker out loud by all means check those out too we're running a half off on uh sulfur ytv right now so uh, just use the code S for Y half. And if you're a first time sign up, you'll get it for half price. But uh, yeah, I thought it came out really well. And an idea that I want to push forward that, you know, I think you could be an integral part of is doing this only vlogger edition hmm. where, you know, we get these guys who are, you guys are really already doing this right in some regards. You're just doing sure. it in uh, retrospect post-production. Yeah. yeah. So it's like taking that element of what you guys are doing, where you're filming the live action at the table and then adding your thoughts after the fact and just doing it in real time. I already think like you guys are going to be super qualified for because you're used to conveying your thoughts. But it also creates this like other layer that is so necessary to poker, in my opinion, where relationships and uh, like frenemies and all of these different characters Mm -hmm. are already like on their verge of forming and now come out at the poker table. And that's like the one thing that I think we're, we're drastically lacking. Yeah, no, I, I think it would be a lot of fun. So I'm totally game for it. And you didn't have to like spring it on me on this. <laughs> I, I would have agreed to it off camera. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't anything like that. It was more so, I, I, uh, I was kind of curious like what your thoughts are as far as like content moving in that direction and the idea of like comparing it to something like the WWE. Well, I think that, I think in general, regardless of what vein the content is in, we have to be innovating. So mm-hmm. if I created content that was working a year ago or two years ago, the audience is going to get bored of it and it's going to get stale and they're going to, they're going to want something different. So that's something that I've always tried to do within my content. You know, like I had like an embrace the grind series where I totally switched it up. I played poker every single day. I do like travel stuff. I yeah. try to like um, basically incorporate live streams, just like always trying to think outside the box to keep people interested and to challenge myself creatively. So that's exactly what you're doing with this. And I think that 
this poker out loud idea while it's like really innovative right now there's something you're gonna you're gonna figure something out in two more years where you're gonna be like oh man that's old. like we got something else coming i mean up. we have so much like on the docket that yeah. like we can't possibly move forward with yet because it needs to establish itself but like in my mind i envision this like road rules versus uh like the challenge on mtv mm -hmm. i don't know how familiar you are but uh, effectively like they just took like reality tv and then smashed it together in a contest format okay and you know it, it's just like it plays really well like the 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 template is there and characters emerge and then these relationships form and you know it's 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 like this thread or underlying um reality tv kind of like getting to know everybody that's being driven by the vehicle of in this instance poker mm -hmm. which uh ultimately i think is pretty fascinating um i watched your embrace the grind vlogs and honestly the big reason why i stumbled onto your content to begin with is because like i really did think you were putting a lot into production uh and it was at a time where you know we were kind of doing our thing vlogging and that's where we thought we would separate ourselves was like hey we'll just we're a team and we have a team so like we'll just up the production value what i noticed was like you were able to do that on your own seemingly from scratch like right right out of the gate uh how much of that was like due to a background in in like cinematography or like an interest in that kind of stuff um it was definitely had to do with some of some of that and even before that there was an interest in music mm -hmm. so i've always had kind of this creative thing inside of me where I was just good at computer programs, like not necessarily even um, creative type programs, but like I, I knew how to program in Java. Yeah. And, and like solving a problem in Java is like kind of logic, but a lot of it's creative. Right. Like you give you give me one problem, you give someone else a problem. My line of code is probably going to have a lot more than theirs because I'm out of practice, but yeah. it's going to be like a roundabout way where I figured out how to do it. It was kind of the same thing. I'm good with software. So I figured out how to produce music. I'm good with software. So I figured out how to make cool transitions and tell a good story. What I wasn't good at and took a lot of work was actually getting in front of the camera. Okay. The first time I got in front of the camera, it was so foreign to me. It was yeah. like, it was like the first time you ever approach a girl. Sure. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. not myself. Right, 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 yeah. And like, I'm watching it back. I'm like, that's not me. Like, yeah. I, I need to get better at this. And that was part of it is because I was, I wanted to, uh, I, I was chasing a lot of projects and one of the projects that I had was my vibes clothing mm -hmm. and I wanted to do a better job of like telling people what it was all about because people had asked me and I'm like oh it's this thing that I got I right. don't know it's, it's, it's I'm having fun with it but I wanted to get better at telling that story my elevator pitch public speaking all of that I'm sure that's one of the reasons why you're doing your keynotes that you've been doing it's oh god like, yeah you awesome. know it's gonna like help you outside of any aspect of life if you're a great presenter great public speaker you can influence people. I think that it's only going to pay dividends no matter what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big picture, like, you know, I always want to be in the poker industry and I want to be a part of this game and help it grow. But I just think there's a lot of value to be added if you're able to convey a message well to, you know, maybe the masses, maybe some subsection of the masses, whatever. But if you have value to offer, I think it's important that we package that well and get the message out. Yeah, I mean, some of the most brilliant minds in poker, I would say, aren't the most socially adept or the best presenters or the best at um, putting themselves out there. Mm -hmm. So when you have that skill, like I think that you should you should definitely chase that rabbit down the rabbit hole because there's people, there's people that can't do it. So. Yeah, and to be fair, like I'm a lot like you. I, I grew up incredibly shy, like mm -hmm. very, very, very introverted. Mm -hmm. um, I just found like, you know, in poker specifically, you acquire a skill set. 
and you find a lot of confidence and validation in that skill set. Mm-hmm. And then it gives you the the backbone to start trying other things that people tell you you're okay at. Yeah. Uh, so the fear of failure, you know, it's not it's not nearly as great as you mature a little and you've kind of gone through the shit a little bit on your own. It's just like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah, I think one of the things that actually really helped my content stand out from the very beginning was early on, I was just, I predetermined, okay, I'm going to make a video today and I'm going to go to the casino. I'm going to document the journey. And regardless of what happens, I'm just going to tell the story. Yeah. And I got crushed a couple of times. I got crushed one time really bad in like the seventh episode. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And like I talked about my mistakes and I was really confident in my poker game. So it didn't really bother me to put it out there because I wasn't I didn't think people were going to be like, oh, you suck or whatever. Right. Because right. like I was confident yeah. with myself. And yeah, I think yeah. that what that's one thing that holds people back a lot is they don't want to be real with their audience because they're afraid that they're going to think that they're no good or, yep. you know, so I Definitely think that that was one of my secret sauce to stand out from the very beginning. It's difficult because if you, it's hard to not validate your work through the likes and the comments. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to somehow turn that off and just stay true to yourself, like, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Your content's always going to be better and your audience is going to respect you for it. Um, Do you find any like doubts creeping in now that you've been doing this for so long like the game evolves so fast yeah. do you find yourself like in spots of hesitancy or like moments of weakness where you're like man I, i'm not really that sure yeah um well when you said that it doesn't necessarily translate to likes and and um elevating you as like a thought leader mm-hmm. i actually think that it really did help yeah. because like when i was vulnerable with like some of the things that didn't go well for me a lot of people could attach to that and they could relate to that and they were like, thank you for putting this out. Like, I feel like you're a real poker player. You're not this robot that just like executes on all the decisions that you know. So going back to your follow-up question, what, what was? Uh, just more so like now that you've been under the microscope for so long, yeah. you feel vulnerable. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when I first started creating content, I didn't really think of myself as like a thought leader or an industry leader. I was just documenting the journey. Mm-hmm. And naturally because of my experience and because of how long I've been doing the content and how much the content is viewed, whether I like it or not, I've entered this space as to someone who has a voice and who is like kind of a leader in in the space. And now I do have to think about like, oh man, it's kind of scary to put my thoughts out there when people view me as like a thought leader now Right. versus before it was just like, I'm just talking about poker and if they don't like it, they don't like it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing that you're, you're bringing up because I don't know that any of us are out there creating content in the hopes of getting like, you know, of being the Pied Piper and, and having a, a, a litany of soldiers following mm-hmm. behind. I do agree that like if you're doing your stuff well and you're vulnerable and you, uh, you know, you really relate to an audience, there just is that natural admiration that kind of occurs. Um, I'm wondering like how much we actually have to balance the idea of being responsible for only putting out like fact-checked, knowledgeable, you know what I mean? Like, do you need to run a litany of solves before you talk about a hand history? Or is it okay to just be real? And I feel like the latter uh, is much more genuine and much more helpful to everybody. Yeah. But I also feel like there probably should be some sort of caveat. Yeah, I mean, it's a little tougher for you because you have a a, a brand like Solve for Why. Yeah. You're a training, you know, so people know that you are giving them training advice. Right. For me, I'm not necessarily, you know, 
like someone who's giving them go to take my course like right, i'm right, the right. expert here yeah so i definitely have a little bit more leeway with that mm-hmm. where i don't have to be like show them the solves to like why i came up with this or right. whatever yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. like yeah. i don't have to have the data backing it up yeah but i can see where it would definitely be tough for you but the secret sauce for me has always been just being real and being vulnerable and like i don't want to switch it up now that i've like amassed an audience so like when things are tough when i realize that things in san diego aren't going to work i'm just going to tell the audience yeah like i'm going to go and try to figure this out and you guys are come along with me and i'm not i don't know what the hell's going on right now but i'll figure it out and maybe i won't you know? yeah I, I mean i can relate to this a lot because like from day one my whole aspect of this was you know I, I firmly believe that character building is like the one thing that this industry is lacking and i always felt like my unfair edge was just this availability to be super vulnerable and open in a way where it's like i'm just comfortable with who i am i guess uh and i think a lot of this is just born out of like being in the shit a lot and finding your way out of it um so it's like it, it takes a lot to really get me charged up I, i'm not gonna overreact to to scrutiny and stuff like that and it's like that's probably hurt me as much as it's helped me. Like mm-hmm. I'm super polarizing to uh, to those on the outside looking in because I think if you just catch a glimpse, I look like this brash, arrogant asshole who isn't very mindful of uh, the big picture and who is trying to promote this contrarian approach that just pushes back against everything that conventional wisdom would say about this game. But like, if you peel back the layers a little bit, really, I'm just being honest about my journey up until this point, how I'm continuing down it. And I'm trying to help people from the training aspect, think a little bit more deeply about the problems you're trying to solve rather than just being reliant on outside sources of information. Um, What I personally went through and what I noticed was that because I was a little bit more established already when we started, no matter how much you try to uh, I guess temper it, you just come off as a salesman. Yeah. And like, I'm awful at sales. Ask mm. Chin. I mm. give away everything for free. Yeah. Uh, it's not my shtick. Like, I probably turn away as many people as, as we accept whenever it comes to the academy and things of that nature. But, you know, it's like when you're putting a polished product out there and you are speaking, uh, even if you're speaking vulnerably of like, hey, th- you know, I did a vlog where I lost a mil- I was up a million and lost a million. I ended up down a million by session's end. That's crazy, man. Uh, we were doing a test for poker poker after dark, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be like the escalator style, where we start at like 50, 100, and end at like uh, 400, 800, or something like that. And the lineup we were playing with was just super volatile. Like Ozzy Matt was in it, me, Carrie Katz, and a JRB, a bunch of others. And after like 20 minutes, Ozzy Matt stuck 200,000. And the rules were that you, you were just done. And he's like, are you really going to like turn me away? Yeah. And so like, we're just kind of like looking at Carrie like, hey man, this guy's stuck a quarter million and seems to want to reload for a house. Yeah. We should probably just like reevaluate and do this another day. Yeah. So we did and we ended up playing like 1K, 2K. Wow. So I just went from like all the way up to all the way down. And, uh, you know, in my professional career, it was probably one of the lower moments. Where I, can't it was, like, Im- I can't imagine. And I was just on camera. Like I was in the Aria Valet, just like recounting the whole night. The amount of hate was so sick. And I get it because like we're talking about numbers that no one's ever going to fucking touch. And it sounds like you're just like this silver spoon in mouth who's lighting seven figures on fire and everything else. Uh, but, But the reason why I spent all that time 
bringing that up and, and discussing it is because you'll progress too. Like you're going to evolve and uh, you're, you're going to detach from certain parts of your audience, either through your success or through your celebrity or, or whatever the case may be. And I, I, I just wonder like, what's your vantage point about uh, remaining authentic and true to the, to the product that you're putting out versus trying to maintain the width of your audience and like kind of be a, a bit of a pleaser and make sure that your product touches as many humans as it possibly can. Yeah, um, I've wrestled with that too. I've been back and forth on, you know, why am I even making videos? Right. You know, because I initially started making videos, like I said, to get better at public speaking, mm -hmm. to just improve my life through creative outlet. And then it got to the point of where I was like, like a little over a year and a year of making videos was literally driven by my creative interest in making great videos. Right. And then once I reached that a little bit more past that point, then I actually started like picking up some YouTube ad revenue. People wanted to start working with me and I'm like, wow, like my hard work and efforts with like no expectation is now paying off in some way. So do I keep this thing going? Do I like, try to like think about monetization now like do i even want to do that do i just want to take a step back so i've wrestled with these questions back and forth and i think ultimately what i've decided was that making money is a game right yeah. it's still a game like poker yeah. like that's one of the reasons why i play poker is figure out the most optimal way to make money sure and it's been kind of the same thing now this last year it's like i want to make money with the content that I make, but I don't want to do it in a way that's not authentic to me. Yeah, You know, I, I don't want to sell. I just want to connect with my audience and do it organically and naturally. And hopefully the money comes to me and I'm not going to overdo it. I'm not going to like push out videos that don't put, that don't like get me fired up because just because I'm doing it to make money. So it's just like the sweet spot of like doing things, but still like sprinkling in taking care of my family yeah i haven't figured it out i'm trying you know it's hard and i think it's something that like you know as we mature through our 30s and and into whatever's next uh i think this is a big thing that, you know i personally wrestle with it all the time uh and i tell I, I joke that i'm gonna die broke i'm always gonna die broke for sure because i have this grand vision of like and, and i've just always been this way you know it, it was kind of like ingrained in me through my grandfather where it's like i always take care of my inner circle as much as i can and I have a desire to take care of like as much of my outer circle and beyond as I possibly can. So it's like I have these grandiose visions of altruism and you know util utilizing any wealth I accrue to have big impact change. The problem with that vision is that as you begin to accrue wealth, you lose sight of the fact that you can keep leveraging this acquisition of wealth in order to have real long big picture change, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you come into a few hundred thousand and you're just like, okay, what can I do to help, right? Like, who can I help? What can I do? Yada, yada. And you blow through it. And then you just like never gave yourself a chance to get to a million. And it's like you get to a million and you're just like, okay, like who needs my help? I'm capable of solving all the world's problems now. And the next thing you know, you're like back to trying to need money again. And it's just like it's this perpetual cycle where if you could just keep the big vision why, which is so selfless in and of itself, in view it would drive the selfish nature of the short term. But we we, we don't operate that way, right? No. Because it feels good to help and, sure. and it's positive feedback. Um, so uh, I guess like just to stick a pin in, in the whole content creation vlogging sphere, uh, do you feel like 
I mean, maybe this isn't sticking a pin in it. This might be opening a can of worms. But <laughs> do you do you feel like there are like lateral moves outside of the poker industry for specifically creators like yourself and the other vloggers? I mean, like you know, we're pretty limited here. I think like yeah. what we're seeing with Brad right now, yeah, is probably the bounds. It's a ceiling, I think. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be pretty close. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think that it, it goes back to just doing what I find curious and what I'm passionate about in the moment. And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is the whole mindfulness mindset aspect of poker. Mm -hmm. And and, a lot, and part of the reason how the name Vibes came about is I've just naturally have a proclivity to thinking about things in a very deep way, mm -hmm. emotionally, logically. And it's led me down this path of, path of mindfulness, mindset, thinking about that thing. So maybe I could like carve out, the, carve out this niche as like the mindset guy or the mindful guy and like the, the guy that thinks deeper and maybe just me doing because I'm passionate about that, right? Yeah. So maybe just following my passion will lead open another door that I don't know even know exists yet. And and it honestly, the vlogging has opened so many doors for me that have been so awesome and and I'm really grateful for. Yeah. And it wasn't because I started out thinking what doors can I open. Right. It was like let's do something that I'm very passionate about, and that's it. And then yeah. the doors open. Yeah. So I kind of have that faith within myself that like keep following my passions, keep putting going all in on things that I really love. And if I'm if I'm doing that, doors will open and the path will show itself. Yeah. And I mean honestly, like when we put things into perspective, we're way cart in front of the horse here. Like yeah. this you guys have created this industry in effectively thirty six months. Maybe yeah. even a little bit fewer. I, I've I've been doing it for two years. So, right. Yeah. Right. And I think like the trooper initially launched his vlog like three and a half years ago. Yeah. So it's like this is so, so, so new. I mean we're mm -hmm. We're miles away from like people transcending it, I think. Um, but that does carry me into uh, a couple other topics that I, I want to touch on. Um, let's let's start first with with the the Johnny vibes. You kind of mentioned that the nickname stems from uh, you know this idea of like you being mindful, positive, and and pushing forward in a in a thoughtful way. And I, I think that that's probably pretty accurate. Uh, I don't know you that well, but I think I know you well enough to to kind of speak to your character, and I, I think that's true. Talk to me a little bit about that version of you versus like the public perception. And I don't mean like your audience, because I think, again, like you connect with them in a pretty authentic way. Yeah, I think they know me pretty well. Yeah, but like the broad scope audience, like, you know, I, from the I, platform I would, where like Doug attacks you. I, I would call that the Twitter audience. It's Fair. like, a, it's a totally different segment of yeah. people that, it's interesting because uh, the people that follow me on Twitter mm -hmm. and the way the t Twitter algor algorithm works, is uh, even if you don't follow me, sometimes my tweets show up in timelines that, of people yeah. that aren't following me. So those people get 144 characters, I think is what it is. I think it's 280 now, but yeah. Uh, of snippets of me. And honestly, Twitter has always been kind of like my way to make jokes and yeah. like kind of have fun. And if you're solely have a perception of me through Twitter, you probably have the total wrong impression of me. So I think it's fair that some people have thought that. But I also think it's unfair that people have attacked me without actually watching my content. That's fair. You know? um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think uh, I'm going to probe a little bit because uh, this topic interests me because it's something where, <laughs> ironically, I would consider myself to be a relatively positive person. Mm -hmm. But it's also just like, you know, I come from the East Coast. People are pretty brash. And there's like this, like, I don't know, aggressively, not necessarily negative, but uh, harsh tone. To some of like the bluntness and stuff like that. And you know, you don't have that. And I think that that's, that's fine. It's good. 
uh, it's 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 admirable and it's likable. Um, what do you think that that does to uh, somebody who like doesn't know you very well? Like you're saying, like your Twitter Twitter audience and stuff like that. There are a lot of examples of people who are clearly fake positive, mm-hmm. right? Like totally. uh, people who are doing it for like celebrity status, and yeah. they're just always the the thumbs up kind of guy. And they're also speaking from a perch where mm-hmm. it's like there isn't very much for you to be negative about. Uh, I genuinely believe that you're authentic. How do you juggle that like almost I don't want to call it an alter ego because I think yeah. this is who you are, but like there is there's this idea that like you're supposed to be something else. Yeah, I think well I I, would, I honestly just want to squash the idea that I'm quote unquote fake positive or even positive in general. Yeah. I don't think that <clears throat> I wouldn't call myself positive. I would just call myself mindful. Yeah. And and like thinking deeper about the lessons that life has to offer me. So like the Doug example, like he attacks me, right? And I, I reacted emotionally in some cases, but zooming out and looking back, like what did I learn from that? Yeah. You know, how did I respond to that? What can I do in the future where I won't respond that way? What did he say that triggered me? Yeah. And why did it trigger me? Is there a piece of that inside of me that believes it? Mm-hmm. And like there's something to look at there. So that's me being vibes. Yeah. That's me taking what the feedback from life, even if it was unwarranted and uh, analyzing it and moving forwards in a way that's going to be some self-improvement in myself. I wouldn't call that positive. Would you? No. And I I actually wholeheartedly agree with like the idea of rebranding it because the problem is that when you get pigeonholed as the positive guy, you're not not allowed to be sarcastic. You're not allowed to have any emotional outbursts that aren't, you know, even killed or, or positive in effect. Like, uh, it effectively means that like now any sort of interaction that you ever have or any exchange that you ever participate in has to be reframed mm-hmm. in this like fluffy clouds, birds singing, sunshine type yeah. of way. And it's like, that's just not human nature. Yeah. We're negative by nature. For sure. Right? It takes a lot of reconditioning just to get to neutral. So I think that like, you know, if we're talking about authenticity, um, I, I do think it's unfair to kind of like have this broad stroke uh, brush where effect effectively like you're not allowed to be any of these other things yeah and i don't know how much of that is a byproduct of uh only people having a snippet of exposure to you or you know just the nickname itself kind of perpetuating this yeah but uh you know i guess the the follow-up question to that is like do you then see that this is a problem and if so like is there a way for you like reframe it um no i don't think it's a problem i just think that if people want to not like me because i'm whatever in their minds, mm-hmm. I can't concern myself with that. Like thinking about what other people think about me isn't going to serve the audience that I already have yeah. and provide value for the audience I already have. And it's actually a good lesson that I don't need everyone to like me. Right. You know, and and sometimes I'm gonna create content that bombs. Mm-hmm. I created a parody video that everyone hated. Oh, yeah. I mean, my audience loved it. But, I saw it too. <laughs> but a lot of people did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, <clears throat> I, I wasn't a big fan of it. That's fine. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, I'm not. But like, a, I'm a big fan of you trying. I'm not an actor, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I tried, you know? Right, like, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like, we've done a lot of shit that I was certain was going to bomb, and sometimes it just didn't. Yeah. But like, I think that, I who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, and, and I didn't take it down because it had, right. like, I think it, it, the ratio of likes to dislikes, normally I'm like a 98% like to dislike ratio. Mm-hmm. This video was like, 65 35 which is i mean that's that's a big feedback for me yeah for sure you know so i took the feedback and and i think that um 
where positive can be helpful is just the way you look at the world, you know, yeah. because there's so many times uh, and I'll relate it back to poker because our audience is obviously poker. Um, the most recent video that I put out, I was in an all in situation with aces and it was just like a, a really great spot because somebody four bet after I had three bet the image was that I was loose called aces and that's positive, right? Like we're in a positive yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, I asked the guy if he wants to run it twice, you know, it's a low stakes game. It's a meetup game. I yeah. want the guy to be happy. I want to fr foster a friendly environment and he's, he agrees. So first board he wins. And then the second board I win. And, and a lot of people are like, man, I'm so unlucky. And this, this right. sucks. Like aces, like I lose, finally get the guy, Phil Helmuth. Like I had him, I had him where yeah. I wanted him. You know? yeah. But like, I looked at it like, man, how lucky is it that I offered this guy to run it twice and I hit the second board. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm like, I'm feeling happy about this is really cool. Where some people just choose to look at the negative and live that way. They actually live their whole life that way. It's easier for sure. Like from an environmental or sorry, from an evolutionary standpoint, like our brain is absolutely wired that way because it protects you. It keeps you out of danger. I think this idea of reframing is a very powerful one. Uh, if we're, if we're going to diverge into mindset for a minute, um, you know, it, it's something that like I learned a lot with Elliot. Uh, if you do like uh, deep hypnotherapy with him. So, so he basically does like two, two versions. Uh, one is just like performance hypno where he'll, uh, put you under and you'll run through scenarios and it's just like a practice right it's mm -hmm. it's the idea of like an olympian going through swings or or uh swimming uh the length of the pool whatever in his mind and there's a lot to demonstrate that the brain activity necessary is it's equivalent to like what if you were actually physically going through the motion but the deeper hypno is uh you know he puts you under and he takes you through this reframing process where he identifies certain sabotages that you may have uh and and you know, childhood experiences they may be linked to. And it's literally like this, this like linking back, which is so fascinating to me where uh, it's kind of like, if you if you want to draw a parallel to it, like being in Mario Brothers and taking the warp zones, mm. where it's like, okay, uh, this thing happened to you that triggered you. What were you feeling? And you kind of explain it. And he's like, okay, now when I count to three, you're going to go back to the last time that you felt that way. And you know, I want to explain hypno to people really quickly because I think that it's important to understand you're not outside of your control. You're not like in the control of the hypnotherapist. You're not, you're, you're maybe lucid at worst, but you're pretty conscious. You're just kind of like in a meditative state where you're following along and you're willful, mm -hmm. like you're willing to explore these things. So it's like snaps his finger and then you go back to the last experience and then you go back and you go back until you get to the source. Mm -hmm. So it's like, maybe you have this like, deep memory from when you were five and you saw this abusive thing happen and he's just like okay like this is what we're going to do and he walks you through this reframing process where it's like you're going to go up to younger you're going to explain to him that like this isn't his fault and everything's going to be okay and you're going to give him a hug and it's wild yeah how powerful it is i mean what you're talking about is it's very advanced self-improvement kind of stuff that i love yeah you know i started yeah. i've been down this path for a long time I would say the better part of like six years where I've been really exploring this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But even if you are a neophyte in that whole space and you think it's woo woo, there yeah, are yeah. still like, there are still baby steps right. that you can incorporate in your life. And, and like a simple one is I recently was, I was driving here to Vegas in my car and something came up under my car and damaged the underneath of the car, severed a coolant wire that, Coolant is basically everything for the Tesla. It sure. like cools the battery. Yeah, yeah. And 
we were like, our, our speed was restricted. We were in the middle of the desert. I'm like, I don't know if we're going to make it to Vegas. You know, right, right, yeah. like we're on with roadside assistance. They're like, oh, since this is considered collision, you, we aren't going to pay for it. And, and I'm like, my wife is getting really upset. She's yeah. just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing. We live out of our car. Our right. house is broken. <laughs> yeah, sure. And I'm like, and she's really getting worked up. And a simple exercise that anybody can incorporate into their life is they can just take it once. They can just start going down the list of what's one thing that could have happened in this exact same situation that would make it a little bit worse. Yeah. That would make it a little bit worse. Well, it could have like came into the window or or maybe it would have just stopped the car and we would have been actually been stranded in the middle of the desert. Right. And then now that I've gone down that path, I'm like, well, this happened. It sucks. But I'm so grateful that we were actually able to make it all the way to Vegas. We got the car pulled into Tesla. This is way better than being stranded in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What if it was summertime? It was 120 degrees out. Yeah. You know, it was like actually 35 degrees. So like the battery's not overheating like it would before. And now I'm like feeling grateful about like everything that could have gone wrong that didn't go wrong in a situation that most people would be like, this is the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, it's a hack, of course. No, of course. But every, I mean, there's a lot to life that's a hack, especially yeah. since, you know, we're, we can't be knowledgeable about everything. And even if we try to be, there's just like infinite paths to go down and try to better comprehend. It's like everybody should really have a good understanding that, you know, the, the truth of the matter is the only thing we know is that we know very little. And I think that like, you know, finding these hacks and seeing some results for them is a great starting point to uh, kind of like further pursue studying anything that you're interested in uh, along these lines. So speaking of studying, I guess, um, and I don't even know if if you've attended or not, but I know that Christy did and I think your brother did. Uh, have you done Choice? I have done. Okay. Yeah. I would love to hear your experience on this because uh, I would say that I'm open-minded about it, but I'd be lying. Yeah. Uh, I have. I definitely have preconceived biases. Um, and that's not to say that I think it's a negative experience. For sure. But like I probably... I probably have a similar vantage point of that as I do religion mm -hmm. in the sense that I think both of them have massive benefits for uh, certain patrons. But I also think that like both are probably pretty divisive in yeah. that they're for profit type of, uh, sure. you know, you can make an argument that religion isn't, but let's be honest. Well, religion is definitely for profit. Right. Right, yeah. Let's just be clear. <laughs> religion like, is know. for conquering the world. Yeah, we're going to exactly, like go exactly. back. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd like to hear your experience on that. Like basically what your takeaways in is like a lot of this reframing practice and, and the yeah. positivity or whatever byproduct of that. Yeah, I, I would say that I want to say maybe five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, Andrew and Christy did the training. It was like part of the whole Daniel Legrano yeah. vein of people going to choice. And um, I'm extremely close with Andrew and Christy. And there was like a lot of pushback on Twitter about is this a cult and all this stuff. And I had actually not attended at this point. And Andrew and Christy had attended and they were like, I really want you to go to Choice Center. And it was right at the same time, you know, because I've been in the poker industry for 12 years. I just haven't been where I'm at now. Yeah. I just was a player that yeah, yeah. didn't have social media profiles. So, sure. so I was like, I don't know, the poker industry is like calling it a cult and like all this stuff. And like, it seems kind of like weird that you guys are asking me to go like what's right. wrong with me you know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like what why do i need to go yeah, to you this? Get worried <laughs> when people are like i want you to do something it's yeah. like that sounds culty as fuck bro yeah <laughs> like, so let me decide and it honestly like i mean i think that this is part of being someone who has a high intellect and we just kind of think we know everything oh for sure you know like yeah. i 
I mean, it's it's been a process of me letting go of ego over the course of a long period of time. I would say that 10 years ago, I thought I knew everything. Yeah. You know, so I and that was another thing is like, uh, I feel like I know, know everything that I need to know. Like, what is this place going to teach me anyways? Mm-hmm. But luckily, my brother and I had like a 10 out of 10 relationship. So he really only needed to say, I know that you have concerns. Just go. Yeah. Because I love you and I'm telling you to do it. Yeah. Like, OK, I'll go. And honestly, my experience was like a 10 out of 10. It, it was absolutely amazing experience. And to address like the whole cult thing, mm-hmm. that was five years ago. And I don't think anybody's ever heard me talk about it. Right. I don't belong to Choice Center. Right. It was something that kind of opened my eyes to living life in a deeper way. I started my uh, my Vibes clothing after that. I, I really recognized that I was in a holding pattern with poker mm-hmm. where I was just kind of trading time for money because I was good at it. Right. And, and it 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 kind of shifted me in a way where it was like, follow this path of mindfulness, follow, follow this path of self-improvement and like get out of this rut of just like making money in middle stakes poker. Yeah. Immediately after that, I moved to California, started making over $150 an hour playing poker, started really doing all these self-improvement type things. I've done um, this other course in, uh, in somewhere else in California, not affiliated with Choice Center. I've done 48-hour silent meditation retreats. I just love this stuff. Like, yeah. I love stuff that gets me thinking and that gets me outside of my ego. And, and Choice was a catalyst for getting me to go down that route. And if it wasn't for Choice, like, my life would look a lot different in a way that where I just wasn't quite as awake. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like I'm not fully. Maybe less evolved. I'm not fully awake now. Like sure. I have so much to do. Like as humans, we all have so much to do. But I think that it was great in that respect. And um, I, you know, I wasn't very vocal about it. Yeah. But at the same time, I found it very valuable for myself. I think the 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 element of it that labeled it culty was like the Negranu element of it. So it's he like, was very outspoken. And it's not even the outspokenness. I think it's the the way that they monetize a guy like Negranu. Mm. Uh, and they have to. That's their business model. Like I'm not going to they, they don't do advertising like Right. Part of the experience is that you're enrolled by someone that you love and trust. Yeah. So it actually created this insane bond between me and my brother mm-hmm. and I enrolled my wife. Yeah. A- and my wife and I our communication is infinitely different now than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe that that's probably all pretty beneficial. It, it's whenever you have figureheads like Negranu, Antonio, that, you know, are, are sending six, maybe seven figures back to the company itself, mm-hmm. that it does kind of feel like a pyramid scheme of sorts. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't necessarily detract from the value of the actual program yeah. itself. Well, one thing that gets one thing that happens is I'll be honest, when I got out of like the immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. I felt amazing. Yeah. I felt like I was on top of the world, like I could conquer anything. It was like going to the Tony Robbins thing. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. And like when you're in that space, when you see the best movie that you've ever seen in your entire life, are you just going to not tell people about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, and, and like, the word and, of mouth isn't even the problem. And Negrano went overboard. He right. was like, I got to tell everybody about this. You guys all got to do this. Yeah. This is the best movie that I've ever seen. I'm funneling money this way. So I could see why that happened the way yeah, that it Yeah, did. which is, I, I think, again, uh, I think it speaks to the product. I think it's all great. I, I just, for me personally, like the business practices uh, are like where I would throw up a red flag. Yeah. Because like, I don't know this to be true, but I think uh, Antonio won the one drop and gave them like a massive donation, like big six figure high or low seven figure, something of that nature. I don't think so. I think what happens is, is every class has a project mm-hmm. where they give back to the world. And okay. um, his class probably had some project where it was like 
I don't know, like one drop or I'm just throwing things yeah, out there. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. my project that we had when we graduated was we had to help adult services here in Nevada. Okay. The Easter Seals program. Mm -hmm. We actually went, visited with the Easter Seals, saw how the facilities worked. It was like adults with autism that yeah, were like yeah, off yeah. the spectrum, you know. Yeah, I'm familiar. And um that was we I think we raised like two hundred thousand dollars for oh, amazing. for them. Yeah, yeah that's that. way different. Yeah. You know, that, that's a charitable thing. And I, I, think, I think that what amazing. happened was is and Antonio was maybe in that work at that moment sure and probably was like i'm gonna give a bunch of money to this cause right okay and yeah, choice that's... center probably said look at what antonio yeah, is doing yeah, 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 yeah. to donate right. and help the world right. you know? okay that, that's that's a lot more fair i'm sure that there's a lot that's unclear to the untrained eye or yeah. to somebody who's not willing to look into it so it, it is very easy to judge obviously from the outside looking in so you spoke a little bit about uh where that took your career up to that point and you've kind of already referenced a little bit uh, I glossed over this to begin with just because of the flow of the conversation, but I'd like to double back a little bit and like maybe touch upon your poker beginnings, how you got into this. I know your brother's a big influence here. Yeah. Uh, so like maybe speak to that, that come up element of it. Yeah. Uh, you've been sharing your story a little bit on online and social media and stuff. And I've related to you in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of ways that I have not related to you. Sure. And some of the stuff that you've talked about with like the, your ascension mm -hmm. of going up so fast in stakes and like losing it all and things like that. Yeah. That just was not my path. My path was sitting in a cubicle, engineering, computer science. My brother kind of mentored me along the way when I would come home from work, mm -hmm. very safe playing $5 tournaments. Then it was like one, two, no limit. And, yeah. and I was this really turtle paced down this path. You the know? irony is that like you, we, we have a similar background. I'm, I have a computer science degree also, but I never worked. I never even interned. Okay. And you actually had the nine to five. And the irony is, uh, I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine you wanted out of it. Yeah. I imagine you wanted to get out of that cubicle as fast as possible. I never wanted to even be in it. So it's like, for me, you would think that I would have taken the conservative route because I don't want what lies on the other side. And for you, you would think you would take the aggressive route so you can get out as fast as possible and you have a fail safe if, if not. But the irony is that like, I think just through natural conditioning of being forced down traditional paths versus not, uh, our mindsets were kind of flipped. Well, I think what happened was, is I actually started getting the paycheck. Right. You know, and once you That's start nice. getting, once you start getting the paycheck, you're like, man, do I really want to risk like right. leaving this? Because at the core of it, I do get to solve problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, they wanted me to create an, uh, a return system that was integrated with the website. And this is fun. Like, it's all me. Mm -hmm. And like, when I'm done, if you return something on this hardware's website, it's because like, I built it. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. there's like something cool about that and solving yeah. the problem. But at, at its core, it was like, I don't, what was happening was I was spending so much time in the cubicle. And I'm actually a really social person, even though I have a, like a lot of introverted tendencies. Mm -hmm. And not communicating with people for eight, 10 hours a day was just killing, it was I'm, killing me. Yeah, inside. I'm sure like your early days were like 60 hour weeks. Plus. Yeah, and, and and just not social at all. And so Andrew introduced me to online poker and he was like kind of mentoring me and then I was like dabbling at night and then, and then he moved to Vegas and we had a really tight bond. So I followed him to Vegas. My job was like, don't quit. You can work from Vegas. But then that just didn't work out. Like once I started actually seeing how easy it was to make money and just how I could set my own hours. And, and I had like a kind of a proof that mm -hmm. I could do it. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to quit the job. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back. Yeah. And that was like the, what I had worked up in my mind and I quit 
And probably six months in, I didn't make a lot of money, but I, I was like winning. At that point, every single day that went by, I kind of knew that I could never go back. Yeah. Like once I saw the other side, yeah. I, and like now that we're 12 years later, there's absolutely no possible way that I could go back to that. Yeah. Six months in, it was like, I don't think I can go back to that. A year is like, ah, eh, I think I have to make this work. Four years in, it's like, no. Is it the freedom or is it the validation in the path that you took basically from scratch to get to here, knowing that you would essentially be what feels like taking a step back, though monetarily speaking, it probably wouldn't be, you no. know, assuming you could rise through the ranks in programming and stuff, you'd, you'd probably be making a comp. I, I probably would have made more money if right. I would have stayed in programming mm. and just like let my career rise as it would. I'd probably be in management now, like yeah. selling products, you know, to people. Sure. But at the same time, like I've traveled to probably 30 countries and played poker all over the world. And I've basically averaged 20 hours a week over the course of 12 years. I right. mean, if you like the last couple of years is maybe like 10 to 12, 15, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I wouldn't take anything back, yeah. honestly. And, and the idea of figuring out ways to make money and to survive, there's something primal inside of me that has like really woken up and really relished in the hustle, like mantra lifestyle kind of thing. And I just can't go back to the way that it was before. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense to me, obviously. It's right. not, it's, it wasn't like a binary thing where it was, um, there's this one reason why I can't do it. Mm -hmm. It's just the culmination of everything that goes into it. The freedom, yes, is that's a piece of it for sure. The satisfaction as a man of like figuring out a way to provide for your family, that's another thing, you yeah. know? The be the um, the creative the creative aspect, being able to do things that I creatively love that's another aspect. I mean, it just seems like you're super driven by creative problem solving, mm -hmm. and poker provides that path. Totally. Plus, plus the freedom, which is why I love No Limit Hold'em so much, man. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, um, all people talk about limit and like all these things are solved and like creative part of. And that's what I think Solve for Why touches on so well. The creative part of No Limit Hold'em, especially Deep Stack, No yeah. Limit Hold'em is just such a beautiful game for me. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like that's that's always been my passion too. It's why when people ask if I dabble otherwise, it's like, well, I'll never master this game mm -hmm. and neither will you. So like the idea of attempting to pursue other things like PLO or Limit or whatever the case may be, I have no interest. Yeah. It's not because I don't think that I could get adequate or even you know increase my bottom line yeah. it's that's not what i'm driven by yeah i don't and, care about the bottom line and i've played in no limit hold'em games in barcelona for example where i was playing with all euros you could only buy them for 100 big blinds mm -hmm. and i hated it yeah i'm like this is a two blind game with 100 big blinds against everyone that has the right charts yeah and, and like that was just not creative it was not fun for me i felt like i was handcuffed i couldn't call three bets i couldn't you know yeah. i couldn't open wide yeah and whereas california you know, we can buy 500 big blinds and we can call three bets. We can take some liberties in spots. And it's just a much more creative game, which is why I love it, you know? Yeah, and I think that's important to, to I guess, message appropriately because uh, I think that the, the overarching message being brought to the community now is we are on a path to a solve. And if you are trying to be innovative or creative or color outside the lines, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're going to be ridiculed along the way because uh, you're not falling in line with what conventional wisdom is going to tell you to do. Yeah. And there's some truth to it, but uh, probably a lot less than the vast majority of people understand. The truth of the matter is, if you're just learning the game, then yes, 
understanding these principles that we've discovered through solvers and other uh, kind of machine learning are incredibly important. But if you're trying to increase your win rate, trying to scale to high stakes, uh, trying to be a true killer and, and things of that nature, you have to be able to understand the environments, the nuances, the the places to insert yourself, the the shifts and changes in personalities, game flow, the the doing the things that aren't allowed. You know, it's like yeah. nobody's studying yeah. whether or not you should be cold calling three bets versus yeah. just like taking a four bet or fold <laughs> strategy. But when you reach certain depths, what the the EV of that actual decision is so much less important than the EV of the uh the the decision made at leverage when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of blinds will be at risk and if you just know with some relative certainty that you're against an actor who makes massive mistakes at that point of leverage just getting there is really profitable mm -hmm. no matter what path you 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 get there through yeah yeah and and getting back to what you talked about like my progression and mm -hmm. how i brought it back to you like you were fairly aggressive in certain spots with yeah. your progression. I definitely wasn't. I, I was very slow and steady. And I would say probably spent way too much time in the one, two and two, five area because it was easy in Vegas and yeah. didn't have a high cost of living and sure. got to do whatever I want whenever I wanted. And what's your first days of freedom too? Yeah. And then the personal development stuff came up and I was like, I got to shift and I got to like, this is, if I'm, I'm, I'm going to like, die here yeah. if i just yeah, keep yeah, doing this yeah. you know so i ended up first of all i want a more balanced lifestyle california second of all i want to play in deeper games better games potential bigger games that are looser so i went to oceanside and i started playing at oceans 11 about five years into my career and that went really well and eventually went to 510 probably another year and a half later so we're like six years deep into my career now and then i started playing 1020 and then I took some shots at 25.50 that did okay. And then now we're like nine years deep and I, the 5.10 games just like started, stopped, yeah. they like weren't running. The 10.20 game got so horrible. And I was like, maybe let's try to make this clothing business work. Right, right. And yeah. how, how am I gonna do this? So I started investing in like learning about content creation and video and making videos. And, 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 then, I, and then that evolved into me getting in front of the camera and it evolved into the 510 game dying and then me figuring out like, are we leaving? Or am I gonna play a $5 big blind again? Like, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna go backwards in my career because I felt like I was handcuffed. And if I wanted to stay in San Diego, I had to play what was there. Especially with cost of living. Yeah, with cost of living was so high. And honestly, my wife having a good job let us go for far too long in that space Yeah. where it finally reached a breaking point where it was like, we're spending more then we're combined making because yeah. we were combined making like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for a, quite a while, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it was like we're combined making like one hundred and seventy, yeah, like, yeah. and like eighty thousand dollars is a big difference, for sure. You know when you're for like, sure. you know, especially, especially like in taxes, yeah. California, yeah. you know, and um, sold the house that I had here. I had to you know burn through that money slowly. It was so slow that I was burning through this money, but eventually I was like, look, if we don't do something, if if we don't leave. If I don't leave and play poker in bigger games, we're just gonna like go down to nothing. Right. And I'm gonna have no options at that point. Yep. So we kinda I think at the right time she quit her job too. And I'm like, I think that you have so much potential because she's like brilliant, she's motivated, she's very ambitious to go out on your own. 
And she had been around me, Andrew and Christy for so long that she kind of was like, maybe I could be like you guys and figure out how to make money on her. She's already picked up a couple clients. She's doing well already. Like mm-hmm. she's, she has potential to what make, does she, do? she, she does PR oh, okay. and, um, social media, um, influencer marketing. So she's getting that vibes brand out there. She hasn't helped me much because <laughs> she's been so busy with like her current job. Yeah. She was working 60 hours a week at That's her, wild. at her last company. So I'm like, help me pick up other clients and let's go out on our own. Let's travel the world. Let's leverage some of these offers that I'm getting to come play at mm-hmm. these meetup games. Let's, uh, before we have kids, you know, we want to have kids in the next couple of years. So if we're going to do it, let's do it now. Let's get our bills down to nothing, sell all of our furniture, no more $2,500 a month rent. You right. know? So things have been going well for sure, but this is not a sustainable lifestyle. What we're on now at some point, we, I would like to build something outside of poker where it's like this all encompassing thing. I get to play in big games. I have something that's working for me outside of poker. My wife is making money outside of poker and we can actually live in San Diego now and not feel the pressure of it. I can travel up to LA like once or twice a week mm-hmm. and, and make it work. But like as it was before, it just wasn't working. And I kind of shared about it on YouTube a little bit, talked about it in the vlog, but there was some miscon- uh, misconceptions that I was like, homeless or that I was broke or whatever. Right, like broke right. is so relative, you yeah, know? You're also driving a Tesla like across the United States. It's pretty tough to be yeah, broke. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I'm broke. Yeah. Know? But like, I still get to play in the games that I want to play. I, I have a car, you know, we get to travel the world. Sure, like I can't be as frivolous as I once was and I have to be a little bit more careful. And like, if I'm playing in a really big game, I got to reach out to a friend and see if he wants to buy some action. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I got to make it kind of like, figure it out a little bit better than I could just do before. But that's running any business. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you're, you're almost never going to have a hundred percent of any business. You're going to deal with fluctuations in the market. You're going to deal with fluctuations in cost Mm -hmm. and all these other overhead issues that are going to have you more or less liquid. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I I think that's a big element that, you know, people take for granted and don't understand about the poker player or the lifestyle. I think they think that like, we're just supposed to always have all of our own action. And if we can't afford to play a game, we should just be playing smaller. And that if you don't play smaller, it's a lack of discipline. But it's like, our entire incentive is to chase EV and to find the highest EV spots to put ourselves in. And sometimes that's gonna be the biggest game in the room. And if Mm -hmm. you don't have the capital or the leverage to do so, then you seek out investors that will take care of that for you. Yeah, definitely. And it was actually the first time in my life was in the last year or two, where I even ever sold action or, mm-hmm. or gave away any of my cash games. And, yeah. and it was just a product of me like needing to be more careful yeah. as I was progressing. Yeah. Mitigating yeah. risk is a big element of, of playing poker professionally. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Why don't you tell me a little of how this uh, nationwide road trip has been treating you so far? Um, luckily, I've been running amazing. So that's like that's great. really helped a lot. I can't imagine going to El Paso and like, dropping thousands and then driving and then driving to Dallas the next day and dropping more thousands yeah, yeah. and having to like entertain people. And because it's not that I'm entertaining people, it's mm-hmm. that a lot of people are really excited to see me, you know? So I want to put my best foot forward and I want to engage them and I want to thank them for watching my content. Right. And it's a lot harder to do when you're getting crushed, when, you know, your, your wife doesn't really have much income coming in right now. And, you know, things are a little bit harder and yeah. it's cold out and your dog's in the car with you and, you know, you're not, you don't have your own bed. So luckily the hard parts about it have been mitigated a little bit because of how well I've been running. Yeah. 
I want to switch gears a little bit with a topic to end on, but I, I think it's an important one, and I think that it's one that you can speak to pretty well. Uh, talk to me a little bit, or I guess let me present you more so with like my perspective of this, and you can kind of uh, comment the way you see it. So to me, the thing that poker has evolved into now, um, it's, it's at a tipping point, and it scares the shit out of me in the sense that you know, we were very fortunate with the way that the boom operated. Uh, we had this technology come into play where whole cards were revealed. We had this insane event happen where a guy named Moneymaker won a fucking main event yeah. off of a $30 satellite and online poker just boomed and everything else happened. And then, you know, we had this downfall where Black Friday occurred and it, it felt like the end of the world. But really, in a lot of ways, I think even if Black Friday doesn't occur, some sort of market correction would have had to have taken place. Uh, we were just like too fast too too hot we were flying way too close to the sun and you know post black friday seems like it had been bleak for a long time but the reality is like tournament numbers are up greater than they've been in a long time and i really do think that to the every man the the entry point of poker at this point is still relatively low Mm -hmm. but what's also happened is this uh you know evolution of training and now the entry point to study is greater than it's ever been the the bare minimum of what you need to know to really study and actually like accomplish anything is a lot like you really have to understand the pot odds model you really have to understand intimately how ev works and you have to at least be able to run equity calculations pretty quickly and and set up a solve or a sim yeah. right uh so like with all that being true what's happening now is this this divide is occurring where there's like these haves and have nots there's the capable and the incapable or the exposed and the unexposed, I guess. And right now, the uh, those who are studied are feeding off of those who aren't. But it's gonna come to a head. Either we're gonna increase the barrier of entry for new money to come in, and now we're not gonna have anybody to feast off of, and the weaker regs, the weaker studied players are gonna become the new victims. Uh, and I hate to paint it that way, but mm-hmm. it's a zero-sum game. Let's call it, it really what it is, is yeah. you know? And so, uh, something needs to change. Something needs to give, right? And in my mind, it's twofold. One, like the vlogger sphere and this uh, kind of peel back of the curtain uh, demonstration of what the professional poker player looks like, what that lifestyle is, et cetera, et cetera. It's great in attracting new eyes. It's great in keeping people engaged and everything along those lines. Um, the training sphere, however, just in my opinion, misses the mark largely. We ignore a v- the vast majority of the market and we talk over them and uh, you know, we aim past them. And to me, the, the answer to all of this problem where we keep the barrier of entry relatively low, we allow the training to continue to evolve, but uh, you know, we keep everybody engaged is entertainment and coordination. And I think the vlogger sphere does an excellent job of this. And we kind of spoke about it a little off camera, but like, I think you guys get it. You get the business model. like. You guys are individuals operating under a grand umbrella of vloggers. And there's a lot to be made through coordination, but also a lot of value to add to audiences by cross-pollination, cross-promoting, you know, driving these meetup games, all of this stuff. Like you're serving a much greater audience collectively than you would individually. How can we get to that point of coordination across all boards? Well, I mean... For me, it was a realization that I'm not competing with the other vloggers. And I think that at first, people want to paint it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the better player? Right. Who makes the better videos? Yeah. 
you know, who plays Ace King better? You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And you know, I've, there's been a, actually there's been a couple spots where I've been in with like Brad and Andrew, where you know I've Brad flopped a flush against me, and I flopped a flush, and I folded the flop, mm-hmm. and people were like, "Oh my God, Johnny's so much better than Brad or whatever." Yeah. But honestly, like people forget about that one day later. It, yeah. it really doesn't matter. Like he, it could have been the opposite. We're all. We're sure there's competition at the poker table. Yeah, and you could have just been wrong. And I could have been wrong. And then all of a sudden you're an idiot. Yeah. So it's just like this anecdotal nonsense. It's just these small sample sizes that mean nothing. And honestly, we are all in it together. And if he, if Brad does well, I it actually helps my my brand. Right. If if I bring someone into the space that might not otherwise have been in the space, like on the way here, I took a, a lift to get here. And the Lyft driver was asking me about my life and I was telling him about my content and he had never seen, he's interested in poker, but he had never seen a poker video, mm-hmm. like a poker vlog. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I'm excited to check out your channel. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is, is if he does check out my channel and he enjoys it, he's going to start getting recommended to watch Brad's yeah, channel. Yeah, for sure. And then he's going to be recommended to watch Andrew's channel. And then he's like, maybe I should sit down at a one-two table. Yeah. Maybe I should invest in some training. Like, right. And maybe it doesn't work that way. Yeah. But... It can, right? Yeah. Like maybe this specific example doesn't follow that path. Yeah. But if you if you get that iterated a thousand times, ten thousand times, a hundred thousand times, eventually like some of them will choose the full completed path. Totally. And, and yeah, I definitely think that it's not a competition. We're in it together and it's tough though. You do mention that it's a zero sum game, but at the same time, like people enjoy playing poker. Yeah, you know, and I think that yeah, I think outside it's zero sum for money, but for yeah. experience, I don't think that's true at all. Yeah, it's not zero sum for experience. People love coming to the table and playing poker, and this blows my mind. But there's been people at the table that have lost all ins to me, and have like came over and shook my hand, and they were like, "This is one of the best things ever." Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I watch you all the time, and now I got stacked by you. I feel right. like it's like. Like I got stacked by Phil Ivey and I'm like, what are you talking well, also, about? <laughs> yeah, but like losing's ingrained in the game anyway, right? Yeah. So like at least get a story out of it. Yeah. And, and whether, you know, they're putting you on a platform that you feel you deserve or you don't, yeah. it's there. Yeah. And like, you know, that's a big part of being a content creator is we do create these platforms and uh, people do give a shit. So like for me, it's just like, how can we scale this? Because that's, that's the big issue that I'm running into. It's crazy to me that WPT doesn't coordinate with WSOP and they don't coordinate with, uh, you know, HPT and Triton. And I, how yeah. on earth? And I think the high rollers do a pretty good job of this. There's very little, if any, overlap. Yeah. But that's because the market's so tiny and niche yeah. that they can't. You know, you can't run a Jeju event versus Aussie Millions and, and hope to succeed. Yeah, totally. I think that I think that there has been some coordination in terms of uh, the tours. Like mm-hmm. WPT doesn't try to like run against you know WSOP in certain spots and sure. But where I where you're getting at, and I think what you're getting at is the training stuff. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. like one training is good and the other is trash. Yeah. And, and no, like some people learn differently, and like maybe for instance, I attended your academy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that while it's radically different than a lot of the other trainings out there, and it's tough to really convey a lot of information in three days time, yeah. you get what you pay for. Yeah. And, and like, I think it's great information just because you don't have like solves in your class and like charts and stuff like that, that this guy has over here. 
now he wants to trash on your stuff. Like it just makes no sense to me. Like yeah. there's there's a market for this. There's a market for this. And like, why can't you promote each other and say, hey, you know, like we talk a, a lot of nuance of the game, but if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of push fold charts and shoving ranges, check out XYZ's training over here yeah. and vice versa. You know, they're like, hey, I know you play cash games and I think that there's a lot of nuance in the game. Check out Solve for Why. But what happens is, is people are like, no, they suck or or right. they created a terrible product or think about his thought process in this and like, how can you, it, it, it's not like that with the vloggers at right, all. Right, right. <laughs> I, I do really think we lack that coordination. It doesn't serve the public very well. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is that you're right. Everybody has their own little niche. And if we all try to fit this mold that uh, Run It Once has created, then what's going to ultimately happen is there's going to be a great collapse because you're not going to see. Yes, I think that like uh, those who are who are providing solver work, it's it's a good thing to have a competitive market there that's constantly driving more and more efficiency. But the fact of the matter is, there's only a certain level of efficiency we can create because it's still assumptive based, and those assumptions are always going to be slightly skewed. So you know it's going to be assumptive based on the environment that you're teaching to. And now we create niches again all over and that's great. They should just be coupled with their own unique niche that is, is teaching elsewhere, right? If you're teaching heads up, no limit, hold them hundred big blind uh, online heads up or whatever, then partner with upswing or, or yeah. whoever's the leading uh, in that industry. But even if you don't partner, just like I recommend other training sites, all the time. Yeah. I'm not naive enough or arrogant enough to think that we cover all the bases. You know, we're a small organization that can only do so much and we're very hyper focused on live environments. So like, yeah, of course, we're going to miss some uh, you know, if if you're an up and comer grinding 6 max online and you're looking for opening ranges, like, yeah, we're not going to have that for you because ours are going to be looser. Because of the environments we play in, you can get away with that more. And yeah, we're not going to open to 2x. We're going to probably open to 3, 3.5 because the environments we play in make larger mistakes at that size. So I think it's really critical to find the good actors and unify them as best they can. They don't even have to have financial interest in one another. right? They just need to operate under the organization of like, I don't cover this need and I know somebody who does. Yeah. And I think the best way to do this is peer review. Uh, mutual respect. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I there's a all the times where I'm like, I have a video and at the end of the video, I'm like with Jamin in my video. And I'm like, if you guys want to see a funny poker video with a guy that like is really creative, check out his videos. Yeah. So, but I think the precedent has been set in some ways in the training space where I don't want to name names, but like people have attacked, Yeah. you know, and people are, have, um, and it's worked. Like people love drama. Oh, it's a great business tactic. You know, sure. like it, it brings eyeballs to yeah. like your product because they're like, Oh, what's this beef going on over here? The and problem is it's unsustainable. Yeah. And I think that like the training industry as is, is very unsustainable. So you just keep constantly keep seeing sites popping up. And I think that's going to continue to pe perpetuate until like we can get some established, uh, credible sources that are willing to say like, we're the, we're the new old guard and we're unwavering because the, the fact of the matter is that, much like poker, there's a new greatest player in the world every single day, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's very difficult to stay there because the incentives to do so are so low. Once you're labeled that, you lose action, you lose drive, you lose bottom line, 
You lose all these things. And moreover, we all get older. So like there's more of a need to move laterally. There's more of a need to be creative in other spaces. And like, you know, we saw it with Doug. He kind of just like up and left mm -hmm. while running a very profitable business. It's just like poker doesn't interest him anymore. Yeah. And that's fair. You yeah. know, that's completely reasonable. So how do we create something solidified where we're serving the, the audience best? And it's, it can only be by scratching each other's backs. Yeah. I mean, I agree. <laughs> and there have been people that have come to me and there have been people that have been coming up in the vlogger space. I mean, I wouldn't even call it coming up, but just like one or two videos in that have attacked me or, yeah. you know, and, and it's, and it's an attempt for me to respond to them, right. to create relevancy for them yeah, yeah. so that right. I can like create this beef or, or even people that are like kind of similar in terms of their reach, mm -hmm. um, have, have like, we should create a Twitter beef or we should create yeah, yeah, yeah. a, and I'm like, that's just not, the no, driver, I don't, yeah. That's not me. Like, I, it's fine if you <laughs> don't plan on vlogging six months from now, yeah. right? But it's like if you have any like, uh, like big picture sense of this, and your your like credibility and your name means more to you than your clicks and your your bottom line in the short run, mm -hmm. you have to just like forego the drama, and you have to forego like the low hanging fruit mm -hmm. of just like, yep, you're right. This would get me to a hundred thousand a lot faster. Yeah, but it would also result in once I get there burning out because I can't perpetuate this forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think that the key is, is that you just have to do what's true for you and like lead by example and hopefully yeah. like people fall in line. You yeah, know? I think that's true. Yeah. Uh, so to that end, where, where are you heading to next? Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, so, the first part of the trip was mostly a road trip and it was um, sponsored a lot by the casinos on the road, helping me pay for hotels and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm shifting into a new phase of the trip where I'm going overseas because like, this is stuff where my wife and I are going to look back on. And we're going to be like, remember when we went to Bali? Remember when we went to Thailand? You know, we haven't done this stuff. And, yeah. you know, if we have kids soon, like we're not going to be able to do it then. Sure. So kind of checking a lot of things off the bucket list over the next uh, six months or so before WSOP. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess four months. Yeah. And then spending the summer in WSOP. So we got WPT Manila. We're going to Thailand, Bali, WPT Taipei. We have a brief stopover in Japan where we're going to go get, you know, ramen. And nice. um, where else are we going? Um, Panama. There's okay. a tournament in Panama that I'm going to go to. Medellin, Mexico City. All right, so you're you're Saying, hitting all four quarters. Yeah, right? I'm, and I'm. We're spending, I'm surprised you're not in Australia right now. I'm spending all the money, like yeah, yeah of course, of course. I, I'll figure it out when I get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, didn't want to do Aussie millions. Andrew's in Aussie millions, and as a like, as him going, I stayed at his place in Venice and watched his dog. Okay. So it's like, it's twofold. He needs someone to watch his dog. I need a place to sleep. Sure. <laughs> That's a very reasonable exchange. So, yeah. Um, and there's, it's really awesome, man. People have reached out and, you know, I've stayed with like people on the road. Yeah, it's for sure. And it, it wasn't like a random person that reached out one time. Mm -hmm. It was somebody that runs my hand history group on Facebook that has been moderating. I've never met him in real life, but like we built, built an online relationship. Hey, do you want to stay in an extra bedroom in my yeah. house? These things add up. And if it wasn't for these things, I would, I would have to cross like maybe four of these trips off the bu bucket right. list. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like the platform you build is amazing. I think the reach is awesome. Uh, you know, I, I can speak from personal experience that like 
having an audience truly care is a very humbling feeling. Uh, it's it's it feels undeserved often. Yeah. But it's also one of those things that like you know I'm super grateful for. It, it, I get the same vibe from you where it's just yeah. like you know you can't say enough about it. Um, That's what I mean. And any time that there's a, a moment of frustration or there's someone that's annoying me on Twitter or whatever. I just like go back to who am I serving? How do they make me feel and yeah. focus on them? Yeah. And honestly, it's been, like I said, grateful hundred percent. And my wife has been really cool about everything. And she's even like popped up into some of the content. And for example, we're going to Russia and she's going to reunite with her dad that she hasn't seen in over 20 years. Oh, wow. And like, we'll tell some sort of story of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it might not be like an op perfectly open book, but yeah. like there'll be a piece of that. And 10 years later, when we're sitting back in these archived vlogs are on YouTube, we can pull this one up where she went to Russia and got to meet her dad for the first time. Yeah, I yeah. think it's amazing stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see your evolution. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't expect you to stop in the content game anytime soon. Yeah. Really interested to see where you move to from here. Appreciate you coming on, doing this uh, long form it's type fun. of content for a day. Yeah, it's fun, man. Um, yeah, hit me up when you're back in town. Definitely. We're going to work on something for sure. Try to get you on this uh, Poker Out Loud session. I, I really want to participate in that. It seems so much fun. And I think, obviously, because I articulate my thoughts, I honestly, that's a, that's a tip for people. If they want to get better at something, talk, ar articulate it. Yeah. And, and once you start to go down this path of really refining your articulation of what you're doing, you'll know it a lot better. It's a big difference between what you think you internalize versus what you can actually communicate. Mm -hmm. All right, that's going to wrap it for vlogcast number 33. Uh, Chin still MIA. Hopefully he's beached on the Dominican island somewhere. We'll get back to you again next week. Please, if you haven't already, like, subscribe. Reach out to my man Johnny Vibes. Like, subscribe to his channel. Reach out to my man Jamin. Like, subscribe. Get them all. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time.